I have to admit that I'm sometimes more than a little clumsy. I have very poor hand-eye coordination, and so my heart goes out when I see a video of a goalkeeper who throws the ball into his own net, or a cricketer who drops a really straightforward catch, or even this week when we see somebody who, with an accidental movement of their hand, drops a fellow contestant's pineapple upside-down cake onto the floor. I gasped in horror at the moment. And I felt great sympathy because it is the kind of thing that I would often do. Well, hello, my name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders at Rotherham Evangelical Church. And it's my privilege to look at one of the last messages for our series called Crosswords what Jesus said on the day that he died. We've been looking at the seven things Jesus said when he was being crucified, and today we're going to look at the last of those seven statements. It can be found in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. So if you want to uh, grab your Bible or look it up on your, your screen, if you're watching this on a tablet, Uh, then uh, just pause the video while you find the the right place. Let me read from verse 44 just to give us uh, just a little context. So that's Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness had come over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So today we're going to think about that last thing uh, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, And we're going to think about it under two headings. Uh, First of all, the final word, and then the Father's hands. And I want to spend a few minutes then just stepping back a little and thinking about the series as a whole under the heading of the firstborn son. So the final word, the Father's hands, and the firstborn son. Hopefully I won't drop the ball. So first of all, the final word. Uh, Let me just read that that verse for you again. Uh, Verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. And there's a great contrast here, isn't there? Since the previous evening, Jesus has, by his own choice, placed himself into the hands of sinful humans. After many occasions where Jesus had avoided the the traps and the attempts to arrest him or or to kill him, where the religious leaders were seeking him out and uh, trying to get an opportunity to discredit him or to kill him, Jesus has chosen on the Thursday evening to place himself voluntarily into the hands of 
the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, into the hands of corrupt judges, into the hands of a fickle mob, into the hands of human beings. And they have done their very worst. Jesus has been deserted. He's been wrongfully tried and convicted. He's been mocked and beaten. He has been tortured, ridiculed. And at this point he is on the verge of death. And all this has happened when he's been in the hands of humans. All carried out by people he himself had created. But they have not broken him. They have not diminished him. In fact, all unbeknowing, they have been key players in the completion of his great work, this great task that he's been given, uh, that Ben was talking about last week. But now, now at last Jesus chooses to place himself into his Father's hands instead. What a stark contrast. Notice that in both cases it is Jesus who, who makes that choice. One of the ways in which the the death of Jesus is unique is the fact that he chooses the very moment of his death. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he would lay down his life of his own accord and that he would take it up again. Well, back to... Luke. Uh, Here in verse 46, uh, Luke records that Jesus said these last words in a loud voice. I think this points to two things. The first is that indeed it is his choice to lay down his life. Someone who is at the point of death by crucifixion is not capable of saying anything in a loud voice. Why? Well, because crucifixion is essentially death by suffocation each moment it becomes harder and harder to breathe and so ultimately despite the fact that you have nails nailed into your hands and feet it is the fact that you can no longer raise your body to breathe to get air into your lungs that kills you and yet here Jesus has enough breath to say this in a loud voice Uh, despite his incredible suffering Jesus is still fully in control at this point he's not at the the point of a natural death here and yet he chooses this moment as it said there in John chapter 10 of his own accord to lay down his life but the second thing is is that crying out loud points us to the fact that Jesus wants everyone to hear what he's saying everyone wants to hear this this commitment of his spirit into his father's hands the same people have heard Jesus say how the father had forsaken him a few 
I was before. And now they need to hear that God the Father and God the Son are back in 100% perfect fellowship. And so he makes sure he says this with a loud voice so that his listeners can be clear with exactly what is what is going on. But you may have noticed some some similarities between what Jesus said here and what Esther read out for us a few moments ago. You may have a footnote in your Bible that points you back to Psalm uh, 31, verse 5. Uh, there is much in that Psalm, Psalm 31, that is prophetic of Jesus' situation here. Uh, and in fact, what Jesus says is a, a direct quote from, from verse 5 of Psalm 31. In both cases, the speaker has suffered greatly and is voluntarily placing themselves into the hands of God. However, however Jesus makes two changes to what is in verse 5 of Psalm 31. And they are informative. The first is something that Jesus adds. Jesus specifically says, Father, which is not there in, in Psalm 31. I think he is emphasising the intimate relationship that has now been restored between Father and Son. Uh, he can confidently and with great trust place his spirit into the hands of his loving heavenly father at this point on the other hand jesus does not say deliver me lord that appears in in psalm 31 jesus has no need to say this uh, david who was writing psalm 31 originally would have been addressing this to uh, to god Because he is in need of delivery. Jesus is not in need of delivery. Because he is innocent. He is without sin. He is the perfect son of God. And so he has no need of being forgiven and saved. As he himself is fully God. Eternal and without stain or blemish. In fact it's the other way around. Jesus has just delivered others. He has finished the work of delivering those who will follow him. He has just paid the price for all of their debts. He has just served their guilty sentence. And so, having just delivered them, Jesus is in, is in no need of being delivered himself. And yet, despite these differences, Jesus here is acting as a, a great example to us, a great pattern of how uh, we should behave when we are uh, in a situation where we are suffering. Yes, even perhaps when we are facing death. In his attitude of, of trust in the Father, he shows us uh, 
uh, a great example of how we should respond. Some of you will know the story of the death of Stephen. That's in uh, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 7. Uh, Stephen is testifying in front of uh, the same religious leaders and uh, his testimony is not what they want to hear. It is, <laughs> it is not pleasing to them. And so they, they stone him to death. But even as he is dying, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he dies with the same kind of confidence, the same kind of trust in God that Jesus has shown. In his first letter in the Bible, Peter commands those who are suffering to to commit themselves to God, even as they persevere, persevering in doing good amid their struggles and their suffering. Jesus shows us a pattern to follow that we should not fear, but we should trust in our creating, sustaining, loving God. A good friend of of mine who was an elder in the church we were going to, when facing imminent death in hospital from, uh, from cancer, he was asked what his final message for, for our church uh, would be. And so simply and and yet profoundly and very wisely he echoed the words or the perhaps more the sentiment of jesus here the idea he said that we should trust god in this he was following uh, jesus's pattern that we see here in luke uh, and he was also uh, doing what good shepherds do even at his last moments he was teaching the church Well, secondly, let's consider those safe hands. Let's consider the Father's hands, the hands into which Jesus is placing his spirit. What can we say about them? Well, firstly, we can say that the Father's hands are trustworthy. Jesus had confidence in them. God does nothing by error or mistake. He does not sleep or some slumber. His will, his decisions, uh, his timing, his judgments, all these things are perfect. That same first letter that Peter has uh, in the Bible tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Like Jesus, we can have confidence in God because he is trustworthy. He is faithful when we are not faithful. He keeps his promises. Surely, if nowhere else, we see that here in the death of Jesus. Surely we see that here when so many promises are being fulfilled, even as Jesus dies in our place. Secondly, we can say that the Father's hands are safe. Jesus knew that 
the hands of the Father were secure. Powerful hands, they created the world. They are skilled and capable. God never drops the ball. He has never let go of one of his people. As I said, I'm not a safe pair of hands. I'm not here just talking now about my hand-eye coordination. I am prone to wander. I am not a safe pair of hands in terms of my own relationship with God. Too often I lose my grip. But the good news is that God never loses his grip. Thirdly, the Father's hands are loving. They are compassionate. God is the very definition of love. His thoughts and his actions are love. God is filled with love and compassion. And Jesus is perfectly and totally loved by the Father. But as we are thinking about the, the crucifixion, even though he was totally loved by the Father, the Father was still prepared to sacrifice Jesus for us, pouring onto him all of the dreadful anger for the things that we have done. And so this shows us how much God loves us. How much does he love us? Read John chapter 3 verse 16. Wherever you are watching from, whatever your situation is today, please understand the extent of the staggering love that God has for you. Love that he had already shown you before you were born by sending Jesus, his son, to die as an atoning sacrifice for you. When you read John 3.16, put your name in it instead of the, the world. And read it out loud to yourself. Fourthly, the Father's hands are accessible. They are welcoming. There is no reluctance from God the Father to receive Jesus. There is no sense in which he is holding back or imposing conditions. Instead, there is a sense of Jesus returning to his rightful place. He's returning home, a home which is defined by the very presence of God. God's hands are accessible to us too. God has not stayed far away from us. But he's come close when he sent Jesus into the world. By believing in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, we can turn to God and away from our sins and we can be accepted just as we are. God eagerly awaits us returning to him and running into his arms. You will never regret committing yourself into these trustworthy, safe, loving, accessible hands.
But finally then, let's just step back a little bit and think for a moment and consider all of the last words that we've we've heard uh, over the last now seven weeks. These words from God's firstborn son. These words from the cross that he said on the day that he died. Jesus is called in in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is called the firstborn from among the dead. Which speaks to both his his position as the head of the church and his preeminence among those who rise from the dead. But also pointing his followers towards the, the fact that he shares with them so much. Because we are all adopted as his brothers and sisters. So what did the firstborn son wanted his adopted brothers and sisters to hear? We said at the start of the series that someone's last words will often reveal something of, of what that person is, is concerned about what they want their legacy to be. Something of their life, something of their heart. So amongst many things that that Jesus' last words have shown us, and, and you will have picked up many of your own, I'm sure, we have heard that those who repent and believe in Jesus are forgiven. From Luke chapter 23, earlier in verse 34. We have learned what it takes to be saved and reconciled to God from verse 43 in the same chapter. We have heard of Jesus's great love for us and for the community of love that he established, which is now called the church, which he established when he died in John chapter 19. We have heard about the infinitely high cost of our salvation was paid in Jesus' suffering. We've heard how Jesus' death fulfilled God's promises about the saviour that he was sending to us. Last week we heard about the complete sufficiency of Jesus' death for us and today the confidence security we can have in God's hands. And I'm sure that you have picked up many other things but as we close out these series we need to bear in mind that the cross is not the end far from it far from it three days later jesus is raised from the dead as he said in john chapter 10 taking up his life again as he said he would taking his position his rightful position as the firstborn from among, from among the dead. The cross is his transition. Transition to being at the right hand of God. His transition to being the head of the church. To having everything progressively brought under his rule and reign. When Jesus dies on the cross... It's also a great transition for the people of God. Up until this point, the people of God had been defined by their ethnicity and by adherence to a set of rules called the law. Now, now the people of God are the church. Those who 
trust in the death of Jesus to save them and who have turned away from their sins to to follow him. They are defined by their faith in Jesus, in his grace as the means of which they're going to be saved. And so they were gathered together in loving communities called churches, churches that serve and worship God, not out of duty, but out of gratitude. And Jesus' death is also a great transition for individuals, for me and for you. Before Jesus' death, we had no way to satisfy God's anger against us for what we did wrong, for our selfishness. But because of his great love for us. Jesus laid down his life for us in agony and forsakenness when he was crucified on the cross so that now we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Our debt to God is paid and we can be adopted as his children, not the firstborn from among the dead, but certainly among that group. Reborn as we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as, our, as he, that he is our only Saviour and our risen Lord. Turning to follow him and turning away from our selfish sins. Then, then we can be what we were designed to be. Then, we will be held in the hands of God eternally. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.